Let's talk about some things that are always on my mind. You're lucky that um, Wendy's isn't open at 8.45 in the morning. Otherwise, I would have brought a quarter pounder and it would have distracted you throughout my sermon. Cheeseburgers are always on my mind. Like, I admit it somewhat shamefacedly. Yeah, it's not hyperbolic. Not a day goes by that I don't think about having a cheeseburger. (laughs) It's usually not at 8.45 in the morning, but at some point in any given day, I am going to think, you know what would be great right now? A cheeseburger. Aren't cheeseburgers great? I mean, if you don't eat meat anymore, veggie cheeseburgers are not as great, although Harvey's is pretty awesome. And if you've been to uh, South Street Burger Company, they make a really decent veggie burger with cheese. So even if you have been eschewing meat for some time now, I encourage you to check out a veggie burger with cheese because it's a pretty wonderful thing. They're always on my mind. Also, chocolate cake. I never met a chocolate cake I didn't like. This has also gotten embarrassing. (laughs) Oftentimes now when people come to our house from Grace or we're invited to someone's house, they have chocolate cake for me because I guess I've mentioned it in a few sermons. (laughs) My mom makes the greatest chocolate cake in the world. My wife isn't here today, so I can say that without fear of reprisal. My wife makes the greatest banana cake in the world. But chocolate cake is just a wonderful thing. And it's not quite every day, but for sure, once a week, twice a week, I think some chocolate cake would help. You ever felt that way? Chocolate cake is always on my mind. Sailboats, I'm always thinking about sailboats. In fact, this is so bad that my wife will be talking to me, and if I zone out, she's like, which one are you thinking about? She knows I love sailboats so much that I, in fact, I'm embarrassed to say, I have like a list of which ones I would buy if I was in the position to buy certain ones, and the list goes all the way up from $5,000 to Numbers that are ungodly and sinful. I love sailboats. I'm always thinking about my wife. I didn't prepare a picture for you of her because I thought that might be idolatrous. She's far too good looking to put on screen. It'd make you all depressed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I love my wife. She's wonderful. I think about her constantly. In fact, second to Jesus, she's the person I think about most. Speaking of Jesus, I do think about him all the time. Jesus is always on my mind. Also, let's be honest, something that's always on my mind is trying to survive. Can you relate? That's embarrassing, isn't it, how much we fixate on trying to survive? You go to work because you're trying to survive. You try to succeed at work because you're trying to survive. You pay your bills because you're trying to survive. Right? You take care of your house because you're trying to survive. Right? At the end of the day, you don't want the roof to leak because if the roof leaks, eventually your house is going to rot, you're going to get vermin, you'll get the plague, and you'll die. Right? It just follows. Right? I'm, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to survive. We have this in common. You may not like chocolate cake, but you're trying to survive. You may prefer tofu to cheeseburgers, but you're trying to survive. You can put it this way. What's always on my mind How to have a better life is always on my mind. Can you relate? It's kind of embarrassing as a Christian, right? To admit it? Always thinking about how to have a better life. How could I get a better life? Fortunately for us, Psalm 16 has some clues. A miktam of David, a composition of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. 
I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. Ooh, receive it. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This will preach good. I was afraid I was going to have a hard time preaching today. My family's away, so it makes me depressed. I thought, I'm going to be in a bad mood today. I'm not going to be able to preach. But then I come to the text, and the text is already encouraging me. May it do the same for you, my friends. There's a central conceit in Psalm 16. Life can get better and better, or it can get worse and worse. There's a central conceit embedded in the heart of Psalm 16. Life's going to get worse and worse, or it's going to get better and better. So it provides for us some things to keep in mind as we grow into the latter, as we grow into better and better. Okay, that's your thesis. That's the point of this sermon, to show you some things to keep in mind from Psalm 16 as you grow into a life that is becoming better and better. First thing to keep in mind. Your self-preservatory instinct is not sinful. Verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. As soon as I got to that, I was like, ooh, thank you, Jesus. Because I feel guilty sometimes because of my self-preservatory instinct. I want to save myself. I want to save my kids. As my family drove away from me today, Nikki and Zoe drove north to Pioneer Camp to visit the two bigs, Jordan and Sarah, are serving at Pioneer Camp all summer. They're driving up the country route, which we've learned as we've moved to Guelph, so they're off the 401, which is good. But you know the highways that take you north from here are two-way highways. And so I'll admit it. I said, Jesus, today would be a very bad day for a head-on collision. Preserve the life of my family, Lord. And you feel faithless sometimes? You feel that way? I should trust Jesus implicitly. Problem is, you've gotten old enough and have suffered enough to know that God's goodness doesn't always look like goodness at first blush. It can cause you to feel a little bit insecure. I was so encouraged. Our self-preservation instinct is normal. King David was a strange and troubled soul. If you know his story, I love him because he's an exceptionally flawed human being. He's exceptional and he's flawed at the same time. It's beautiful. Maybe it reminds you of you. Yeah, there's some good things about you. Also some very flawed things about you. Same is true for me. So I'm thankful that this great king, who in fact was so great that he became an archetype, had a self-preservatory instinct. Preserve me, oh God. Now, if you've spent any time in church, you have an aversion to self-preservation because Matthew chapter 16 is ringing in your ears, right? 
And if you don't have it ringing in your ears, then someday you will if you continue to spend time with us at church because you hear this passage preached and emphasized. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Here's the key part. For whoever would save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Or what will someone give in return for their soul? So I think about my instinct for self-preservation and I hear Matthew in my mind and I feel a little bit conflicted. How am I to hold these two in tension? It's hard to preach the Bible because you have David saying, preserve me, O God, save me, I'm in trouble. And Jesus, who was called son of David, centuries later, says to his followers, and it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, that if we try to save our life, we'll lose it. But if we lose our life for his sake, we'll find it. How do we hold these in tension? By focusing on the second part of verse 1. Look at it. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. In the Hebrew, this is beautiful. Preserve me, O God, for in you, chasiti, in you I have found grace. Chesed is the word for grace. Chasiti means it's an adjective. I have found grace in you. An adverb, rather. I have found grace in you. Chasiti. So here's the point. It's normal to want to survive. It's biblical to fix your eyes on Jesus as the key to your survival. It's a fine point. Crucial, though. The urge to survive is normal. It's biblical to fix your eyes on Jesus as the key to your survival because only Jesus can save you. If you haven't lived long enough to learn this, keep on living and you will. People come to Jesus, in my limited experience, one of two ways. They're raised in a Christian home and they encounter Jesus in a Christian context at some point in their life. They have a power encounter, as the charismatics would call it. They're at a retreat, they're at a conference, they're in a service. They have a moment where they experience the divine life in an undeniable way. In the best case scenario, that experience of the divine life is coupled with a preacher who has preached the gospel. And they make the connection between the two. They have this, whoa, God is alive moment. And then they connect that with the story of God as contained in the gospel of God. And in that moment, enlivened by that supernatural experience, awakened by it, if you will, they make a decision. They say, yes, that's for me. And new life is born in their hearts. Second way is through suffering. We know this from statistics. If you haven't given your life to Christ between the ages of 8 and 12, it's highly unlikely that you'll do so until later in life. Some would close the door, statisticians would close the door at age 18. Now, of course, we know that this is not true. We know it's a trend. That's all statistics are. So the second way that people come to Jesus is through suffering. They're 28. I think they have life by the tail. And then the economic crisis hits and they lose everything. Their fame, their status, their fortune, their life of ease, the esteem of their friends. They're 36 and everything's hunky-dory. Got a great house, great car, great wife, great kids. And then cancer shows up. And all of a sudden they're brought to the end of themselves. And they realize 
that the edifice they've constructed to try and save themselves cannot do so. And so in that moment, whether as the result of the financial crisis, of cancer, or some other cataclysm that comes your way, maybe your marriage begins spiraling downward and you know that you're powerless to stop it. And so you go to anywhere you can to find help. And so you try drugs and it doesn't help. You try counseling and it doesn't help. Eventually, one of you says, you know what, maybe we should go to church. Because at some point, one of you heard from somebody that maybe church could help. And so you come to church to the gathered context where God's people are worshiping God, where God's people are preaching about God, where God's people are responding to God in the group context, and you have the experience you should have had when you were 12. And the suffering you've endured has softened your hard heart, and the pain you're in has opened up your closed mind, and you go, oh! and you come to Jesus. Because only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Jesus, God the Son, made flesh. Who lived and died in your place for your sin. Who rose again from death, conquering its power bodily. Who ascended to the Father's right hand, sat down to intercede for you. A place from which he'll come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end. A kingdom in which you have a place. (laughs) I'll put a smile on your face. I'm preaching like a rapper lately. It's crazy. I'm sorry. I've been listening to a lot of hip hop because my sons are getting into it. We had Tribe Call Quest on blast at our house the last three weeks. It's crazy. All these rhymes start happening. It's not in the manuscript, trust me. (laughs) Look, here's the truth. Jesus is what you've been looking for all your life. David felt the same way. Look at verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. (laughs) David knew it. There's no joy to be found outside of Jesus. The scriptures testify to this elsewhere. Every good And perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning, James 1.17. Cheeseburgers are from Jesus. (laughs) Veggie burgers too, baby. Tofu also. You know, every good and perfect gift... It's from above. You want life to get better and better, notice every good thing in your life and give God glory and thanks. Hear me. You want life to get better and better, notice every good thing in your life and give God glory and thanks. Gratitude is godliness. You could simplify, in my opinion, the broad testimony of Scripture into several Simple, pithy statements. We could encapsulate the Old Testament this way. Remember me, says God to his people. We could encapsulate the teachings of Jesus this way. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. We could encapsulate Christian living this way. Gratitude is godliness. Period. I'm here to tell you today, if you cultivate 
a grateful life, you'll end up being somebody that everybody wants to be around. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Fix your eyes on Jesus as the key to survival. Cultivate a life of gratitude. Cultivate a grateful life. This is how to become a saint. Those two things right there. Fix your eyes on Jesus as the key to your survival and cultivate an attitude of gratitude. This is the how-to of sainthood. You don't have to have performed a miracle that we prove after you've been buried. Then we canonize you in an elaborate ceremony. No. Fix your eyes on Jesus and be grateful. That's how you become a saint. The other option is fairly bleak. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Man, the Bible's so awesome. I sometimes feel like I don't even need to preach. Like I should just read the scripture and sit down. You're like, amen, sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Who else did that? The Quakers. I'm not a Quaker, though. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, nor take their name on my lips. Idolatry leads to sorrow. This has always been true. It is true. It always will be true. Sue Bitten and me need to repent because we love Porsches too much. This is a little bit too much. Not too, too much, but a little bit too much. Right? The problem with fancy things is they can quickly become an idol. What's an idol? I quote my friend Mark. An idol is a good thing that becomes a God thing, which is a very bad thing. It's the first one I ever heard say that. Love that guy. Dear friend of mine. An idol is it's a good thing that becomes a God thing, and then that's a very bad thing. Man, we live in the age of idolatry. My stupid Twitter feed, man. Had an article on... One of the Kardashian daughters, I don't even remember which one. I can't keep track of which is which. She's about to become a billionaire because apparently she's got a very successful cosmetic line. There's a link in the Twitter feed to her Instagram. All the marketing happens online. She's in control. I was like, wow, that's impressive. I would check that out. I look at her Instagram feed. It's idolatrous. It's idolatrous, and she is the God upon the throne. Everyone's trying to keep up with the Joneses. Today, more than ever, we're inundated with messaging because all our friends are online. It's like showing us how awesome their life is all the time. Take one step back from it, it's quite clear that they're trying to impress themselves. I have these moments, right, where I'm about to take a picture of something and I'm like, I'm not going to do that because I feel trapped in the loop where it's like, If a tree falls in the forest, is anybody here? If you're swimming on Georgian Bay and don't Instagram it, did it really happen? (laughs) Feel me. You have a golden opportunity to live a countercultural life that does not celebrate its own accomplishments. Let another man praise thee. Help me, Jesus, man. I need help. 
Look, cheeseburgers are great, but they're not going to save you, let alone give you any kind of long-term satisfaction. You want your life to get better and better, continuously root out idolatry in your life. In fact, you could um, exchange lust for contentment. I love the Bible. Verse 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I choose Jesus. How about you? You know, I choose Jesus. I'm learning to be content with the portion he's given me. That's hard for me. I'm an A-type high achiever. I am constantly judging myself a failure. I am constantly looking at my friends going, Ooh, they are clearly better, smarter, nicer looking, richer, better educated, and harder working than I am because look at, and then I just go through the list of all the good things they've accomplished, and I make those good things a God thing in my mind, and I find myself an idolater, and my life becomes miserable. How about we begin choosing Jesus? And do the very hard work, admittedly, of fighting through to contentment. I miss the lake. I live in Guelph now. Not a day goes by that I don't wish I was still living by the lake. That's the truth. You know what I do? I say to Jesus, help me, Lord, to love this little river. And I'm not, y'all laughing at me. I'm not even joking. I sat there by the river. I'm, help me, Lord, to love these dinky little canoes. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I could always miss Toronto. I could always miss Los Angeles. But I would rather be happy here. Well, I'm flexing in case you missed it. Oh, I'd rather be happy here. God put me here. God put you here. Let's be happy here. Let's be happy here. Oh, let's, let's be happy here. Oh, why? Because huh. he's our cup. This is the portion he's given us. Our lot has fallen in a beautiful way. Woo, I have a good inheritance. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take you to Romans 8 right quick, you know. <laughs> so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. I don't want to be Kylie Jenner, y'all. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as daughters and sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. i got flex. Uh, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order, whoo, receive it, that we may also be glorified with him. You know, somebody shout, hallelujah, Lord. We bless your name, O oh Lord. 
I preached this to my wife today before she left because I was like, you need to hear this. I live with you. You You need to hear this. You're a co heir with Christ. Only once you accept this will you be able to live in peace. That'll preach good. I'll just cuss in my mind. That'll preach really good. It's like emphasis, you know, like y'all preach really good. Oh, don't you say it again? Or y'all got it. Somebody answer me. Y'all got it? <clears throat> Once you accept that you're a co-heir with Christ, then you'll be able to live in peace. Ooh, look at verses 7 through 9. I'm almost done. Oh, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And the night also my heart instructs me. Most important part of the sermon. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Almost done. You want your life to get better and better? Learn to worship. I will bless the Lord. I know I harp on this a little bit, but some of y'all still ain't singing. And I was making breakfast this morning, listening to worship music, and I was singing and I wasn't singing, and they were just worshiping Jesus. Then I started singing, and I was worshiping Jesus. I thought about all you that I see not singing, and I love you, but I hate the fact that you're not singing yet. Hmm. Test, test the Lord in this. Open up your lungs and sing. See if all of a sudden you don't... Become a worshiper. You want your life to get better and better. Learn to worship. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Do what God says if you want your life to get better and better. How often does God speak to you in a week and you don't do what he says? Or I'm the only bonehead. Right? God speaks and you ignore him. Then he speaks and you ignore him. Man, even listen to him when he speaks to you through your own heart. Verse 7, in the night also my heart instructs me. In Hebrew, my heart disciplines me. You know the Christian colloquialism? Invite Jesus into your heart. Don't be surprised when you invite him into your heart if he takes over and starts using your own heart to speak to you and, yes, to discipline you. Like, why am I? Be quiet. You're right. Trying to tell your heart, calm down, heart. I, I know about that. And your heart won't stop, right? You know, three in the morning, can't sleep. Heart's talking to you. Sometimes you even hear it beating while it's talking to you. Very annoying. I got it already. And Jesus is like, you don't got it. No, no, I got it for real, though. You know, you don't got it. Jesus in your heart, using your heart to discipline you. And always... Keep him on your mind, verses 8 and 9. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Key point. Over time, I'm almost done. I have set the Lord. Y'all see it? Where is it? I have, I have set the Lord. See it? Who set the Lord? Oh, say it again. Who set the Lord? I have. God's not going to step up on the throne in your heart. Isn't that crazy? This is the God of the universe who rules and reigns over the whole universe, but he's allowed your heart to be a rebel territory. 
ridiculous are we living our lives, sitting on the throne of our own heart? Meanwhile, the God of the universe is ready and able to take charge. He's not going to crush you yet, right? He's not going to crush you yet. We're living in the time of his patience. The scripture's true. We're in his forbearance. He's allowing time for the Gentiles to come in. You're living in the era of God's self-control, where he's like, you want to take over when your kid is murdering something? Like, not literally, but you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're butchering something. I mean, not literally, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and you know they need to learn to make that mistake, but you just want to, like, grab them by the throat and yank them. And y'all, y'all feel me? You, anyway, enough said. You know, set the Lord. Set the Lord always before your eyes. No one else can make you do this. You have to do it. And it's the key to happiness. Isn't the Bible amazing? Therefore, my heart is glad. What's the therefore? It's therefore, I set the Lord always before me. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. This sounds like the ultimate life everyone's looking for, doesn't it? Just isolate that part of the verse. You ever met anybody who wouldn't want to live that way? Constant happiness, total security, constant rejoicing, even physically? Sounds like the ultimate life everyone's looking for. The life you've always wanted, it's found in Jesus. Now, here's a little sucker punch. Your lifestyle is your message. Y'all feel me? You need to live in such a way that Oh, the happiness you receive from Jesus, the rejoicing that you constantly experience because you are in Jesus, the security that you feel because of what Jesus has done for you is so evident that everyone looks at you and goes, I want what she's got. I want what he's got. Not what you say, what you got. Not what you say, what you got. If what you got is good enough, they'll give you a chance to testify. They will say to you, um... Could you please give me a reason for the hope that is in you? And you will say, I'm so glad you asked. Oh, oh, it's because of Jesus that I'm happy. It's because of Jesus that I'm secure. Your lifestyle is your message. Worship team, I'm done. Oh, I could tear this pulpit apart. Why are we so happy? Oh, verses 10 to 11. See, I only preach once in the summer, so I got to use all the energy that I usually save for two sermons to put it into one. You're welcome. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. So hard for me to be quiet. So hard for me. Woosah. Woosah. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The whole bit about Sheol, Sheol is the underworld. In Judaism, during the time of King David, their concept of hell was not as developed as it was in later eras of Judaism. So he's speaking about death. He's speaking about the underworld. He's speaking about being gathered to his ancestors. He's speaking about ultimately hell. He says it's got no hold anymore. You'll not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Of course, we think there he's prophesying about the Christ who didn't rot in the tomb. Oh! Mm. 
but who conquered death in that tomb. Jesus has the answer for death, and he can show you how to live. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. You know, fullness of joy means more joy than you could ever use. At his right hands are pleasures forevermore. That's happiness that lasts. You want a life that gets better and better? Preserve your life by giving it to Jesus. Notice every good thing in your life and thank God for it. Constantly developing a consistent attitude of gratitude. Continually working to root out idolatry in your life. Exchanging lust for contentment. Choosing Jesus, your co-heir, as the bet that you're hedging your life on. Living in peace, learning to worship, listening to God and doing what he says, paying attention to your heart, putting Jesus in first place in your life, just being happy because Jesus has the answer to death and he's showing you how to live. In fact, he's given you more joy than you could ever use and a happiness that lasts, which is why when it gets right down to it for you and me, he is always on my mind. 